Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush, episode 187. This is part two of our episode on, hey Siri, what's up with jQuery? And in this episode, we're going to have a follow-up because last episode, my indomitable, amazing co-host, Ward Bell, was laying out a massive argument of why jQuery should be buried and left for dead. <laughs> and Craig Shoemaker was like, no, no, it's still got life. Keep it going. And I think we're going to have to pick this this episode up and see kind of where that goes. But Craig Ward, thank you for joining me for the second part of this episode. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Yeah. In this moment yeah. in time, honestly. All right, Ward, you made a big statement last time about how I had a root canal scheduled, and I real I just I <laughs> just said, you know, it's uh, root canal's looking good, but okay, I'll be here for jQuery. All right, rootcanal.js. I'll bet you that exists, by the way. So you made a comment last time, Ward, that jQuery is really, really big. It's a massive library. I put a link into the show notes to show, and I don't know how true this is, but it's just a website I found. The latest version of jQuery is 24K. Small. Minified and gzipped. So if that's big, then why are you using Angular? (laughs) Well... Okay. Wow. <laughs> it used to be really big. Okay. What from version two to version three, they ripped out all of the conditional code trying to work with all the old browsers. So that's when the file size shrunk and basically you didn't even need Zepto at that point. So they just okay. ripped so, it all out. So my memory is not that uh, faded. Uh, oh, you're still right just for version two is what you're saying. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm just right for 10 years ago. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking at it as a quick notes here. It says that in uh, in version three, it sounds like they added promises with A plus support in there uh, for deferreds, um, things like AJAX, when data, et cetera. And it was very HTML5 compatible, which means a lot of those things that were in jQuery, a lot of the code just goes away. Like I right. forget the exact syntax in jQuery where you'd find something in the DOM, uh, a query selector. Uh, yeah. Wasn't it called the Sizzle library? There was a Craig? Sizzle was engine. It was the Sizzle, Sizzle engine. selector engine. Wow. And I when you did a selector that. against the jQuery API, that's what was doing the selection for you. And I imagine there was a significant amount of code for Sizzle that is probably no longer needed. Is that is that right? I, I, I don't know for sure. But yeah, I mean, I would, because like I was saying, so much of that is, is baked in to the browser now. But I mean, if you use the jQuery selectors, that's obviously going to use jQuery code. But there are sister... Um, or equivalent APIs that you could lo- use that are native to the browser that would you know, essentially do the same thing. So since we're on that mode of what did jQuery do and what would you do today in the browser? Little things like finding an element by its ID. How would you do that today in the browser? That was, that was like one of the core things that jQuery enabled back then when Warb was talking about we had all these browsers and different versions and you couldn't figure out where that div was that you needed to find. How do, how do you do that today, Craig? Well, so in, in jQuery, you'd pass a selector, you'd, you'd do pound and then the ID to the, the jQuery uh, selector, and that was it. And now in, in well, not now, but in, in the browser, document.getElementById, which is a lot more verbose 
<laughs> so, I mean, you, you get the same thing, but again, that's like what I'm saying, like sometimes the jQuery, at least the, the syntax for it, in my opinion, was a, a little nicer. But So this reminds me of another innovation. I think it was an innovation by jQuery. Um, certainly it was essential to it which was the idea that you would use CSS selectors to identify elements in the DOM. Uh, that, wa that was a revelation, and that has uh, all of the application frameworks today uh, and lots of things like uh, uh, Wix and all these sort of website builders, and all of them all have picked up on this idea that it's a using a CSS selector is a great way to find the DOM element that you want to manipulate. Uh, so I, we got to tip our hat to jQuery for that. Yeah. Well, and, and in the browser now, you'd have query selector or query selector all where you can pass in those, those exactly. same selections and, and do that. Right. Hey, are you building apps in React, Angular, Node, or some other framework? Well, with NX, you can build your full stack apps in a shared mono repo, integrate with modern tools, and reinforce best practices. You'll get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier that will simplify your workflow. NX also helps you simplify the relationships between applications and shared libraries to make it easier to share more code and develop more consistently across teams. And the best part is you'll build higher quality apps and spend less time on configuration. So visit nx.dev to get Narwhal's popular open source toolkit for monorepo development today. Okay, now let's go to the harder side of things, Craig. As I mentioned, I wrote, and I'm, I'm looking at you because you're our jQuery expert here. Uh, Ward's already self-professed, you know, let's, let's put it in the grave. So <laughs> let's say you're writing a library like Toaster.js, something I wrote, I think, 13 years ago with jQuery. And its main feature is to add something to the DOM. So it puts up a toast in the DOM. If you haven't seen toast or snacks or candy bars, they call them sometimes. Those little rectangular things that float up on the screen to give you notifications. And after a certain amount of time, it'll fade away with an animation and then remove itself from the DOM. So what it take, took to make those was two main jQuery features. One was to be able to manipulate the DOM. So we just talked about findings of query selectors, which you also have to be able to add to the DOM. And the second were animations. Let's start with manipulating the DOM. How would you be able to do that with jQuery versus today? How, how would you do it in jQuery or how would you do it native in the DOM? Both. Like, what did you do before um, with jQuery? And then how do you do it? Because you couldn't do it directly to the DOM. That's why we use jQuery yeah. before. Well, I mean, so if you're going to do it in jQuery, you, you would do it, uh, you'd select the, the parent element and then you do a pen child. You would add in, you know, either a, a string representation of the, the HTML that you want to pass in or, you know, you have some some object built up that you want to make it work in. And then after that, you would you could uh, use the animate API to make that work. You could use a CSS animation. It just depends on how you want it to work. But th those would be the probably the main two ways that you would do it. And animations to me were the harder part back then. Like CSS animations weren't that robust, at least not by, at least I wasn't aware of how robust they were 13, 14 years ago uh, in the browser. If they were, I missed it. No, I, I would uh, but, not describe them as robust or yeah. No, and people created jQuery plugins. Remember, yeah. like the endless list of those things that you have to go hunt down and decide which one of those you wanted to use exactly uh, in order to uh, extend the jQuery to do some of these things a little bit better than what you could do in raw jQuery. 
Ward, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there a whole business model built around jQuery plugins by a lot of different third-party companies where, where they're building <laughs> UI libraries and widgets and all sorts of things That's that right. you could Almost use with jQuery? Any commercial widget library you could buy uh, relied on jQuery under the hood. There, there's a and company took, that used to pay my mortgage. Long yeah, yeah. Oh, that did really? That. Oh, yeah. You had a company that paid your mortgage? Well, I worked for Infragistics, and oh, okay. we had the okay. whole UI <laughs> suite that was based off of jQuery. It took them years to get off of that. But no, no, they were not alone. There was a very competitive landscape uh, at the time. And I imagine when jQuery kind of rose in prominence, that was a great thing for companies like this. But then once jQuery HTML5 kind of became ubiquitous and jQuery's need kind of went away, or at least diminished significantly, imagine companies like Infragistics and others, Telerik, um, DevExpress, and trying to think of all the other ones that were out at the mm-hmm. time with this, they had to shift their model quite a bit, I imagine. Yeah, and, and then they just shifted over to the front-end frameworks, a- Angular being the, you know, the first one and then, and then going off from there. And, and, and that seemed, you know, that was obviously the right decision and, and really lucrative for, for them as well. So, Craig, a, a minute ago, you were sort of talking about how you would find and manipulate uh, an element uh, in jQuery and how you would do it today. And when you were sort of spelling out how we would do it today, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to do it like that either. <laughs> well, no, I actually, I wasn't talking about necessarily as far as animation, how we do it. So like the, it, any of it, you, even go back to before the animation, you know, first I find the element, let us see it, and then I do a little of this and I do a little that. And maybe I add an event handler and I pull this off then blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I try not to do that anymore. And I agree with you. I mean, that's why this whole conversation has to be put in context of what what would you do today? What makes sense in order to build a, a, a real application? So if you sit down and crack open VS Code and say, I'm going to write the next whatever, you know, website, it's going to be, you know, so I'm going to build a company off website. You're not going to just sit down and 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 bring in uh, jQuery and start coding it up. I mean, you're going to use a mature UI framework in order to make that happen. Um, because you don't want so, to write the code that you were describing. You, yeah, you don't you don't want to write all that plumbing. You don't want to have to worry about all, all that stuff. And remember, it was how hard it was to find the thing that did whatever it was doing to yes. that DOM in this particular spot at this particular time. It was a rat's nest. There were oh, times yeah. we had to even add IDs to elements that we didn't even want to add IDs to just because <laughs> we needed to find a way to get to them. Right. Yeah. So I had this experience the other day where uh, I think I mentioned this in the show before. My daughter is in college uh, for software development, and she's taking a web development class right now. And I was working with her. She was working on one of her extra homework assignments. Their instructor had asked them to pick some kind of topic they didn't teach in college because they were learning about HTML and JavaScript and all these things and PHP and do a project on it. So she decided to pick Angular. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. And her other partners picked Vue. And we were going through this. I was kind of helping them through their lab. And one of the most fascinating parts was he asked them to write an essay on what is the value of Angular or what is the value of Vue or what is the value of whatever they picked. And I found it fascinating just to sit back and listen to the college students try to figure this out. Like, <laughs> what is the value of doing this? And I'm kind of listening right now to Craig and Ward talk about this. And Ward's like, there's no way in hell I would go back and find an element and add it to the DOM and then find another element and create it and add it to the DOM. And 
And it was funny because the way I ended up getting my um, daughter and her friends kind of to come along this journey was I never told them my opinion. I just showed them apps that I'd written in modern JavaScript even that did exactly that of, okay, imagine you have a list of fruits. You get strawberries and bananas and things like that. And you're trying to add them from an array onto the page. How would you do that? And they started going through because they learned all these APIs. Like, well, first I'd create the element. You know, I create a div. Maybe I put a span inside the div. So now I got a span inside the div and I got to append the two elements. There's a couple lines of code. And then I've got to go create the LI to stick it inside the row inside of a UL. And then I've got to have a JavaScript loop so I can loop through them. And then I've got to create the UL wrapper. And then, oh, I forgot to put my CSS classes on each of those rows. So now I've got to add the CSS element to each of those. And it ended up being something like 20 or 30 lines of code. They were writing this thing out. And then they went over and looked at the Angular code or the view code they wrote. And like, it's, it's like, Template. yeah, why would I do this? <laughs> yeah. So I feel and you. you. And, and you know, that is a, a brilliant moment. That's, that should be an aha moment for these students. Because when you, you, we talk, oh, you want to have the right level of abstraction. And I want to focus on the business problem and all that stuff. Nothing drives it home like the exercise you're describing uh, and why that is not just some sort of academic talk about how uh, you should be lifting your brain up to some higher level of the cloud of human reasoning. It's not that uh, no. it's not that kind of thing. This is this is it changes the way you think it changes what it, it gives meaning to when we make our arguments about productivity um, so that we're not just fooling. In, in the last episode, I talked about the kind of the aha moment for me for jQuery. And, and again, that was cutting edge at the time was set based interaction with the DOM. When I first encountered Angular, it was, OK, thinking in terms of components and that really was a, a big mind shift to be able to say, okay, now all of this stuff that we've been talking about as far as raw uh, APIs against the, the, the browser and, and all this interaction we want to build in, it all kind of coalesces in being able to say, okay, now I have a specific place where I'm going to write this code. I'm going to rely upon the framework to do all of the mundane, stupid uh, type of of interaction that needs to be done in the browser, and then I can just focus on, you know, the cliche of of, of solving business problems. But it, it's going through that progression and being able to really see the value of component based development, which is really important to be able to get to. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, and we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, or Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. 
So if a multi-framework grid makes sense to you, you should certainly go over there uh, and check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com and tell them Warden John sent you. And if we think about this in a, uh, in a larger sense, like I agree with you, Ward, it's, it's, not, it's not just an academic exercise. It's very real world. So you're a real world guy. You build real world apps. Uh, this is what you've been doing for your entire career. Tell us how many apps have you built that have been one page that have had one list in them? Well, no, only ta- demos and things like that, like right? Demos, nothing real, right? So, no. I mean, most of your apps probably have in the component world today, hundreds oh, of yeah. components, sure. thousands, dare I say, in some cases for super large apps. I don't mean uh, necessarily a thousand different components, but maybe instances even. Oh, well, in the an application for sure. But you know, uh, you know, a pretty hefty app was, you know, could easily have three hundred. Uh, you could have coded three hundred definitions of a component easily. Yeah, and I, I give this example because when I was talking through this uh, with my daughter, she was asking me about different questions. She's like, "Well, when you build apps that at Disney and you did things like this, did you have to write these twenty lines of code to you know, show a list of, for example, the resorts on the page?" Uh, and I said, "No, we didn't use that technology to do that." We use web frameworks to do it. And she goes, well, I was just wondering, because if you did have to do that, and I think she showed me it was 20 lines of code to do it through the DOM directly, and it was like two lines through Viewer Angular. She goes, it's only a couple lines more, but if you have 100 of those pages like that, now you've got not just 20 lines of code versus two, but you've got to multiply that out by a factor of 100 or 200, how many pages or instances of this you have throughout your application. And I, I thought it was a fascinating question that she asked me about this to th- for her to be able to think about, and her and her classmates, frankly, about how it's not just the thing you're writing, but these large apps that exist on the web. And how maybe somebody could say to you, well, it's just a couple more lines of code. Just go write it. I mean, how hard could it be? But somebody I really respect told me once that every line of code you write is one more line that could have a bug in it. And that gentleman's Ward Bell. Oh, did I say? So. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I was the first. Uh, but and it goes beyond that. You know, we can wrap our heads around twenty lines. Um, your daughter says, "Well, you know, if I want to do ten components, I'll just pay the price, and it's two hundred. I can't wrap my head around two hundred lines. Now I really have to study, uh, and I have to say, and also I've got uh, now I've got twenty. uh, 10 sets of 20 lines that are almost the same, but not quite. So how do they differ? And which is the one I want to, you know, to be looking at right now? It, you know, there's a threshold of of our ability to focus that you cross really rapidly, at which point the curve of complexity and pain just rockets right up. It's not linear. It's not 10 times 20. Suddenly your brain is on fry and there's your, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's not 10 times harder. It's a hundred times harder or a thousand times harder to figure out what's going on and how to fix it. It's a great point. It really is. And, you know, it, it goes to show why the web frameworks today have added so much value to our model and not just for this one reason, but, it gets to the efficiency of dealing with the business problems as opposed to dealing with the same, I think Craig said it before, monotonous things over and over and over again that you'd have to do. Uh, And frankly, it's boring. It'd be really boring to write the same code all the time. Find the div, 
stick a span inside it, add an ID, add a CSS class. Or just code a form. Like having to deal with user interaction or in, anything that changes on the page, like it, being able to t- detect those changes and respond to them is, yeah, that's not fun code to write at all. Yeah, but it's a great point. How much more performant your code will be if you write each div. In, I mean, you won't have any of that overhead of the frameworks. Right. How many times have we heard that argument, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I even uh, argue that the, and we should do a show on this because we haven't done one in a while about the modern web frameworks that when I hear people say that the web frameworks, uh, you know, this one's better than that one and this one's more performance, we're almost at the point now, if not already past it, where the different web frameworks, it's, they feel like choosing a browser to me these days. Hmm. You know, if I choose Safari or Chrome or Firefox or Edge, they, they all feel pretty much the same to me these days as an end user experience. Why do I care which one it is other than maybe a personal preference of the way it looks or what I've already got my bookmarks in? But in the web frameworks these days, are you really gaining anything by picking one over the other anymore? I, I, I argue no. Well, I, I think it comes down. I, I think React is one place where things are a little different because because of its nature that it's more of a library. So you have other things you need to bring into it in order for it to work, right? So when you pick up Angular, you pick up Vue, you're kind of like, okay, living within that ecosystem. When you go into React, all of a sudden, there are more choices that you have to make in order to decide how you're going to thread this this needle together. So I don't know. I think that's at least one of the distinguishing factors between them. But I think we can be productive in any of them. Oh, oh absolutely. You know, at the, at, g- given, given the... Well, I mean, React's like the most popular out of all of them, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, and we've talked about why productivity matters here, uh, which I think is important because sometimes we bandy these words around like it's more secure, it's more performant, it's more productive. And uh, most of the time when people do that, they are making it up and just trying to hit you over the head with something that sounds like a winning argument. There's Um, usually a self-motivation somewhere in there, too. Yeah. But I, you know, that's why I think whenever we make these claims about productivity, we should really talk about, is, you know, what what do you mean more productive? How am I more productive doing this? And I think we kind of touched on that here in terms of what materially happens um, when you do or don't use one of these things. Uh, whereas I could make the same claim. Like if somebody said, put a React app in front of me or somebody put an Angular app in front of me or a Vue app in front of me and said, uh, you know, what happens if I, you know, what do I lose going from one to the other? I could sort of say, well, a little of this, a little of that. But you know what? Uh, No, you know, there's no dramatic change in what and what I can accomplish. It's a really good point. And, you know, unfortunately, we're about out of time here. And I'm going to wrap things up for us a little bit just to say. We've been playing different sides of where things are with jQuery and the modern web, uh, folks. And in some ways, we're having a little bit of fun with this because uh, I don't think any of us believes that, you know, you should start a new app with jQuery today if you're going to go down that road. I think that's one thing we're all consensus on. But there's a lot of jQuery out there. And we were even talking uh, offline a little bit about how some apps we've seen have multiple versions of jQuery in them still that are out there. Uh, And there's probably a better way. My best advice to you all is if you see or encounter jQuery, and you're very likely to out there, it's okay. It doesn't mean you need to run screaming with your hair on fire. Yes. 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 But it does run, mean there's an away. opportunity. Run away. Run away. 
<laughs> says the man who runs. <laughs> uh, but there's not, that means there's an opportunity if you encounter jQuery to maybe expect some better ways to solve these problems. Because I argue there's, there are many better ways these days to do it. Uh, I'm very grateful that jQuery existed and then it shifted the way the web thinks. Uh, and I'm sure we wouldn't be where we are today with web frameworks if it didn't exist either. And on that note, I want to thank everybody for keeping us on the air every week and for our great sponsors, IdeaBlade, Narwhal, AG Grid, and Ionic. And for all you listeners for yet another week, go ahead and download your favorite version of jQuery and go visit Ward Bell's website. See you next time. <laughs>